0: Hey there, it's Alyssa, and this is the Connect the Dots podcast. I often think of life as one big dot to dot. You know, those puzzles we all did as kids. I believe everything happens for a reason, and it is up to us to connect the dots from our past to our present, and that may just lead to our future. What if the things that you might consider to be a coincidence are all of those little miracle moments were actually divinely put there on purpose to create this really beautiful picture that we call life. My hope is that we are able to highlight some really inspiring stories and connect the dots in other people's lives. So let's get started. Hey there. Welcome to episode one. My name is Alyssa and today we will be connecting My dots. I'm sure over time you guys will get to know me. And for those that already know me as a friend, as a family member, you know I am a pretty deep and emotional person. And um, I think after this episode, you're going to know why, right? First things first, it all starts in childhood. And I think that it would be a disservice if I didn't start there. You know, one of the things I often think about is if the current version of myself, the adult me, could go back in time to any period of time and offer a younger version of myself some advice, what would it be? And to be really honest, (coughs) nothing. I think it would be stay strong, stay strong. It would not be to change anything or to avoid anything. It would just be be strong because there's going to be some storms. There's going to be some pain. There's going to be tears. There's going to be depth. There's going to be loneliness. There's going to be anxiety. There's going to be moments of deep depression, but stay strong. Uh, Let's get started, right? Childhood. I loved my childhood. I absolutely did. I grew up in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, a small little mountain town. I loved everything about it. I had amazing friends. It was a very outdoor mountain community. Except, unfortunately, I was living in a household where my parents, bless their hearts, did not have love for each other. And unfortunately, my father had an addiction problem with drugs and alcohol. And finally, when myself, when I was... six. I was six already. My mom just couldn't take it anymore. And she said, enough is enough. And at that point, my parents decided to part ways and get a divorce. And in the moment, right, in the moment when we are experiencing trauma, it does not ever feel like a gift in disguise. But it was such a gift. And I truly believe that it was that moment for me, that six-year-old version of myself, that started for me this immense journey uh, in life. Um, I was devastated because I had to leave my friends. I had to leave the town that I loved. You know, I was six at the time. No, that's not true. I had just, I was seven. I was seven, I believe. Six or seven. I guess it's the same, right? I had to leave a town I loved. I had to leave everything. My mom was going to be moving to Denver so she could be closer to family, which is normal. For anybody who goes through divorce or separation or anybody who in times of need, you know, we need those extra connections. We need family. But that also meant I was going to be leaving my dad. You know, when you're a small child, you do not understand the depths of people's problems in regards to drugs and alcohol. Nor can adults talk to children or explain rationally, you know, addiction and what that looks like. So I was devastated. (coughs) absolutely crushed. And we moved to to, um, Denver. We lived with my aunt and uncle for a period of time. And you guys, I was angry. I was one angry child. I didn't understand anything. I was so mad at my mom. How could she do this? And, um, you know, it just, I, I took a dive for the worst. And at seven years old, I will never forget it because it was like my first aha moment of what power looked like. I backed myself into the corner of a bathtub and I told my mother, bless her heart, you know what, mom? I just want to kill myself. Now, I don't think the seven-year-old little girl, me, actually understood what that meant. I don't think there was any physical aspect of that that was possible. What I know was that I was a seven-year-old little girl in an immense amount of pain who did not know how to express herself. And you know, I think a lot of children, sadly and unfortunately, the, the world we live in where the divorce rate is over 50%, it's probably closer to, I don't know, 60, 65. Um, I think there's so many children that are just suffering, right? <coughs> and going through those things. Anyways, my heart breaks for them. My heart goes out to when I see children in these situations, it just puts me back in that same zone. And to not draw this out. It was at that moment that my mother and father, bless them both, said, you need to go to therapy. And I am forever grateful. And I will always be on the bandwagon for getting children as young as possible into therapy, getting them professional help to give them the tools, the resources, and the strategies that they need to continue to thrive and survive. So that is that. My father... At this moment, it took him to lose everything to get well. In October of 1995, he went to his first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, and he became sober. I'm not here to share much of his journey, but it's extremely important for me to tell you that I got my dad back, and and it's painful because it's really an emotional journey. And, um, you know, for anybody who knows anything about the program of AA, it later will become a part of my story. So we'll get there. But my immense gratitude to programs, rehabs, centers to help people get well and to help people find themselves is huge. I feel like a lot of people, you know, make fun of them, give them a bad reputation. You guys, they are spiritual programs. Uh, I mean, if you actually look at the, the 12 steps, within the first 12 steps, the word God is actually written four times. And God is referenced many other times throughout the steps as higher power, his will for you, so anyways, um, my, my dad used to give me his, his coins, his little tokens, and I still have them. To this day, they are in a little plastic bag. I keep them close to me. They're in my little nightstand drawer with all my mem- memories, you know. And every once in a while, I would say like once a year, I open up that drawer and I go through it and I'm just reminded of God's mercy and of God's grace, And at the time of childhood, you know, we were not a religious family. And I think my mom was always a believer. My dad, not so much. But, um, you know, we would go to church every once in a while on the Hallmark holidays, Christmas, Easter, those sorts of celebrations. But God was never really up front and center. So anyways... That is the story of my father, of starting his journey to get well. And yeah, I, I am just forever grateful, you know, he was, he even marked, I, I have these always by my desk because it's such a good reminder of when somebody's pain is so great and they're finally ready to get help and piece themselves back together, how hard you're actually willing to work for yourself. And there's a saying in, in in the rooms or in the program that says you need to go to 90 meetings in 90 days, and you guys, my dad went to 101 <laughs> in 90 days. So that is that story. I got my dad back. He's amazing, but I should also tell you it, it was not easy. It was it was still a long road um, for us to have a really good relationship. And as a child, I was extremely close to my dad, which is one of the reasons I was so angry at my mom for taking my dad away, right, for moving, for separating us. Later in life, you sort those things out and you see things clearly and you understand why. So fast forward, you know, I was a young kid and my mom just was doing the best she could to raise my sister and myself as a young single mother. She had to work five days a week and she was incredible, she was absolutely my hero. Both of my parents were in different ways. Um, and I, I want to be so clear about that, that my parents, to this day, are some of my absolute best friends. And I'm so incredibly grateful to call them that. I know it has not always been easy, as any parent will attest to, right? You have good seasons and bad seasons with your children, Um but they always did the best that they could. And they still do to this day. They do the best that they can. And that's the role of parents, right? Um, they always showed us love, kindness. They went above and beyond to provide for us financially and economically the best life that they could. And that's what I can tell you. Um, yeah. So life continued on. my Both of my parents did remarry. I have incredible relationships with both my step-parents. They are both equally amazing and incredible people and have been extraordinarily influential in my life for very separate and different reasons. And, you know, life just kind of kept going on. Um, You know, elementary school was fine. I was in and out of therapy and just trying to deal with my emotions. And, um, you know, highs and lows. Even as a child, I did not love my stepdad for a long time. Poor guy. But that was just me. That was the child me. That was the painful me. I didn't want my mom to get remarried, right? And um, but she did. And I'm so happy, obviously, that that season passed. And, you know, middle school was weird. Middle school was hard. Being a girl, you know, that 12, 13, 14, 15 age, golly, that is difficult. <coughs> um, you know, I need to back up. I, I mentioned that we lived in Glenwood. When we left Glenwood Springs, because this part becomes a very important piece of the connect the dots. When we left Glenwood as a child, I was crushed. And I always said to myself, every single time we would go visit... I'm one day I'm gonna move back. One day. And um I just loved it. For me, Glenwood was home. Glenwood was childhood. Those were my memories, right? So anyway, middle school's tough. I think for a, a lot of young girls. There's just so much peer pressure and your emotions and you're changing and you just wanna be liked and you wanted to be accepted. So that was hard. And once again, I, I continued going back to therapy. I had stopped for a period, and I was like doing good, loving life. Like, woohoo, right? Like, just a normal kid? I don't know. Is that even real these days? Golly, bless our children. Oh, man. As a parent myself, oof, I just try to be as conscious as I can. But man, it is a wild world for our, our young, sweet children to navigate. Anyways. Middle school kind of came and went and then I got to high school and you're what 13 when you enter high school guys wow I thought I had arrived you know um I arrived with all the wrong intentions with all the wrong motives and once again I just always felt a sense I guess of pain um and then and, and I started to use alcohol and drink myself pretty consistently around, I would say 15, like 14 or 15 years old, it became kind of a consistent weekend thing. You're in high school, you're partying, you're doing the thing, right? Um, and little by little, that just became a more frequent, more frequent, more frequent thing. Now, I have to tell you, I was a good kid. Academically, I was a really good kid. <coughs> I got good grades, the teachers liked me, I did work hard. But you know, I I knew that I was seeking and looking for that feeling that alcohol provided and that just kind of unfortunately became a problem for me. Drugs is not a huge part of my story. I mean, I experimented, I smoked marijuana. But it was never really like a big thing. It was always mainly like, let's get drunk and just like relax. I didn't realize throughout periods of time that I was experiencing and going through deep anxiety that I had struggled with anxiety. And um, yeah, so that's kind of that part of the story. And once again, I grew up in a good house. My mom and my stepfather—they provided an incredible home, an incredible environment. My stepdad worked so hard for us; they were able to take us on these incredible family vacations. We got to see different parts of the world. Like, I was just a white girl in the suburbs. You know, um, I was raised well. We had good neighbors, good family, and um, but like secretly, I was looking forward to the weekend so that I could get drunk. Like, that's crazy. Um, So I started going, you know, I had older friends. And um, I don't know. I I always kind of just got along with older kids or connected with them. I want to say that I was a good friend. I I have been a really good friend. I've been a really bad friend. I've been a really good daughter. I've been a really bad daughter. Um, I think that that is completely normal, obviously. We go through seasons where... That's just how it looks. You know, we have good days, we have bad days. And I developed incredible friends to this day. Majority, well, not majority, but many of the people I went to high school with, I am still really good friends with today. And I'm grateful for that. That was definitely a fundamental time of my life. And, um, you know, occasionally I would go up to, you Boulder, at the University of Colorado in Boulder, because I lived close by, and party with some of my older friends, right? Who wouldn't want to go to a college campus and, like, get drunk? And I ironically met this very nice, incredible, fun, outgoing person. His name was Fernando. We became friends. We met each other through mutual friends. And he was just awesome. Well, anyways, I graduated high school. <coughs> and um I thought, well, obviously, if I can go to CU Boulder, that's where I'm going to go. All my friends are there. It's fun. Let's do it. I got in and I started my college year. What would that have been? Fall, fall of 2006. And it was great. I was like, "Yes, I can like live how I want to live. I can do what I want to do. This is amazing." And I rarely went to class, which I think is a problem, right? Um, But I got to spend all this time with my friends. And this incredible boy that I had previously met in 2005, Fernando, I got to see him all the time. And, you know, he was really, truly one of my absolute best friends during this one year period. I had a ton of fun in Boulder. I absolutely loved the town. It holds a near and dear place to my heart. But unfortunately, after a year or well, two semesters, right, a full school year, the university asked me, please do not return. Your GPA is like 1.8. You're on academic probation. See ya. <clears throat> and I thought, OK. OK. I can still get this together my parents are gonna have no idea i'm gonna go home for summer take some summer classes at the local community college so i can get reinstated they'll never know i got home and i realized no i can't go back that's that's probably a terrible idea and i need to make some changes so i stayed home And I attended a local university, got my GPA up, transferred to a separate university. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I would occasionally go up and I would still see my friends. I stayed in touch for a period of time with this incredible man, Fernando, who, by the way, is today my husband. I feel like I should say that now. Um... And for me, a connect the dots moment, I just told this to my husband the other day. I said, you know, what I realized is that my whole time when I was at CU Boulder, nothing academically ever came from that. But instead, the foundation, the fundamental relationship that my husband and I have today happened in that one year period. And um, I just cannot express enough the gratitude that I have to that one year, although there was an immense amount of, I keep saying pain, but, um, because it was, I mean, I, I was just, I was a disaster. I was a hot mess, hot mess.com in that one, in that period, you know, I was drinking probably five to six days a week. I just was having fun to be perfectly honest. It was just fun. And I, I had a lot of amazing friends and it was fun and we would go skiing, we would go mountain climbing. I just didn't go to class, but I had a lot of fun. Anyway, enough of that chapter. And so I I no longer saw my husband probably for what turned into about three years. We would occasionally chat or whatever. I um, continued drinking for a period of time and in November of 2007, I was 19. I was almost 20 years old. I was not even of age to legally drink, but I had a fake ID, so no biggie. I went to my parents and said, I need help. I am broken, and I cannot keep doing this. I had looked myself in the mirror at one point and said to myself, I don't even know who you are anymore. I um, physically (coughs) and mentally knew I could not keep going on the way in which I was living at 19 years old. My hair started falling out. My eyelashes, I will never forget the day that like, my eyelashes were missing. Um, and I just knew I needed help. And I'm so extremely grateful and gracious that my parents said, OK, let's do this. My mom researched you know, some intensive outpatient programs. And I went to a three-month intensive outpatient program. And people who are going to listen to this are going to be like, I can't believe you're sharing about this. And what I have to say about that is, I can't believe more people who have been through recovery are not sharing. Um, I think we live in a world in which there are so many people suffering with addiction. And there is help, there is hope, there is solutions. Because the truth is, (coughs) sorry. The alcohol, the drugs, sex addictions, whatever your addiction is, those are just a symptom to a deeper problem, to a spiritual problem, to brokenness inside of your soul, to trauma that you have never dealt with. And so my journey began in November of 2007 of learning who I am and it was a very emotional journey at first. I went to a like I said an intensive outpatient rehab program. Incredible with the nicest sweetest old lady, she gave me all these tools and resources and got my mind and body um regulated. I was taking some supplements to help just with some brain function and just finally felt healthy and strong. And from there, I went into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And once again, I am so grateful because I knew what the program was because of my dad. I knew it was possible because my dad was still sober. He had been sober at that point, maybe 15 years. And so I knew if it could work for him, maybe it could work for me in that moment. And so that's what I did. I started going to meetings and I think it is so pivotal (laughs) to tell you, you know, I, I entered the rooms broken. And um, I just felt lost. And I was religious as well, but I did not have a relationship with God. The first you know, few steps of the program, it talks about a higher power. And I am not joking you. I share this because for anybody who is not religious themselves, I needed something tangible when people told me like, you need to admit to God, to yourself, and another human being the exact natures of your wrongdoing. I thought, well, I don't see God, so that doesn't work for me. My higher power for the longest time was the sun. You guys, I worshipped the sun because I thought to myself, if the sun doesn't rise tomorrow, we're all dead. So the sun became my higher power for a period of time. And then one day, I was driving to a meeting. I was running late. I got to a stoplight. And I was the last car to not make the light. So therefore, I was the first car in line to turn when the light turned green again. Well, guess what? Here came, the opposite way, in passing in front of me, a funeral possess- a possession. No. Well, whatever. Motorcade. A motorcade from a funeral. <coughs> long, long motorcade. Police escorts the whole bit, and I was so mad. I was like, I'm going to be late to this meeting. Me, 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 right? All of a sudden, it hit me. I heard a voice distinctly tell me, but Alyssa, that could have been you in that car, in that coffin. Relax, be patient. That could have been you. That was the first time. And I started crying. That was probably one of my biggest spiritual experiences. And I just sat and I just knew that whoever I just heard and whoever I just felt was God. And I, um, at that point, said, no, no, no. He is real. He is mighty. He is gracious. He is merciful. And that was my starting point of having and creating my own relationship with God as I understand him. And for those listening who are really big into the Bible and know the Bible and are very religious, my hat is off to you. And I have probably done religion all wrong. But for me, I've done a lot of things right. And what works for me is this incredible, deep, and personal relationship that I have with the almighty creator, God himself. I made it to that meeting that day. I was a mess. I was crying. I told people, I just heard God. I just heard God. Um, and that was it. I started going to church on a regular basis, diving into the Bible, and um my parents, my mom started going to church with me too. Anyways, I want to believe that I started to become a better person and because of the steps, because of the program, because of AA, I I did, you know, the the fundamentals of Alcoholics Anonymous is being of service to others. And that is something that I will never forget, and that I try to be mindful of on a daily basis getting outside of ourselves and helping somebody else. Even when we are in extreme pain ourselves and suffering ourselves, offering a hand during those moments is pivotal for myself. Pivotal. I keep saying pivotal, blah, pivotal for getting me out of my own misery. And, you know, I volunteered, I was of service, as they say, I sponsored people. I even went into some juvenile correctional facilities where, you know, some kids with some real problems were living. And um, at one point, I was bringing, pardon me, bringing some meetings into a women's correctional facility, which is a fancy way of saying jail. That was a lot. That was very interesting. And, um, you know, I did a lot. I did a lot of service work. I was sober and I stayed sober. And to this day, many of my good friends are still in the rooms in the program. I have a lot of sober people. And, um, you know, one of the people, a sponsor that I had, you, you know, in the program, you get somebody who is called a sponsor. It's a fancy word for saying a mentor or for me, I just called her a spiritual advisor. This woman helped me to discover who I am. Because for those that enter, you know, the program and actually do the work, you take a personal inventory on step four. You take inventory on your resentments. You learn about your fears and through this inventory process, you discover what your beliefs are. because at the end of the day, the root of our being, the root of the things in which drive us as people, the things that trigger us, are these deep-rooted beliefs. And the, my beliefs and things in which I discovered, my pattern after all these inventories, of, you know, people, places or institutions, you know, my fears that drove this were my beliefs of, I'm a failure. I'm not lovable, and that I wasn't good enough. Once again, probably came from childhood, right? (coughs) So I've done some inner child work, and I've just always and thankfully been the type to say, like, let's get deep, let's learn, let's keep growing. And because of this understanding, this fundamental idea and understanding that our beliefs actually dictate us and our day-to-day relationships with people i'm a little bit more aware a little bit more conscious of how i show up now how do you deal with these beliefs how do you get better at them you know uh, i'm sure there's a lot of work you can do seeking pr- you know professional help therapy absolutely for me it's been a very spiritual journey you know, my connection with God, getting deep in that, understanding the root of my, my beliefs, why, where they come from, asking God deeply and profoundly to remove these beliefs and helping me to know I am good enough. I am lovable. I am not a failure, despite my circumstances, has been a very healing process through time. Okay, let's speed up here a bit. So, um... That's all that story. Back in the summer of what was 2011, at this point, I had graduated college. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. I graduated college with like a 3.6 GPA. I killed it. I graduated with an an accounting degree. I was um, grateful and blessed to have done that proud of myself. I started, you know, failing out of school. I still graduated on time. I took all these classes. My parents even made me financially responsible for, for like one or two semesters of paying for my school because I had wasted their money. I was like a responsible adult, a responsible human. And, um, I was getting better, you know? So that was great. And Graduated, I got a job right out of college in a corporate accounting position for a company that ironically is the world's largest protein producer called JBS Swift. They were headquartered in Greeley, Colorado. Graduated, moved up there, got the apartment, did the deal, started working amazing, loved my job and loved my team. It was fast paced. I got to learn the um, protein industry, beef, cattle, chicken Um, pork. Did I say pork? Anyways, fascinating. So I got to learn the, um, processing manufacturing side of things within like the cattle industry, which once again, connecting the dots will become very important, um, in just a few minutes here of where life took a turn in the summer of 2011. I happened to hop on Facebook, and after, like I said previously, a few years of not um, communicating with this Fernando guy, I saw he was in Boulder. He had returned for the summer to hang out with some friends. Now, Fernando was from Mexico. (coughs) So he no longer even lived in Colorado in the United States. He was home visiting, hanging, or he was Not home. He was in Colorado visiting some friends for their summer break. I wrote to him and said, oh my gosh, it would be amazing to see you after all these years. I saw you're in town. Let me know. He said, yeah, sure. That'd be great. Why don't you come down Friday night and we'll hang out? I thought, perfect. Guys, I had another date that night. Hilarious. I had a date. And um, so I thought, perfect. I'll drive down to Boulder, hang out, chill for like, I don't know, a minute an hour, right? And then I'll drive to Denver to go on this date. So I got to Boulder, called him, we met and like instantly I was like, "Oh my gosh, like I walked down this long pathway and he was there. He like opened the doors to this building where he was inside and he opens the doors and is like standing there and I'm like walking down. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, he looks great." And we give each other this huge big hug after not seeing each other for a while and after having this deep friendship previous years ago. And instantly, I heard this voice again, the same voice that I had previously heard, which was, this is the man you're going to marry. Clear as day. Um, I did not go on my date that night, needless to say. Him and I became inseparable from that moment until he left to return back home, which was like a week later. And we were with each other. We hung out with each other. And he... I said, well, now what? You know, now what are we going to do? You're going back to Mexico. I'm working here in Greeley, Colorado. Like, that's a thousand mile difference. And he said to me, Alyssa, you're the only girl I have ever wanted since I saw you walk down the stairs when you were 17 years old at Sigma Pi, his fraternity. And if you're willing to do this, so am I. And I thought, "Okay, let's do it. And um, so we started dating long distance. We saw each other a month later in Houston. And that was it. After that, he, we continued dating long distance. And in October, so that had only been what like, like four months after, you know dating, he said, "How do you feel about moving to Mexico?" Because he was managing the family's cattle ranch. So here we go again, right? Just connecting the dots. <coughs> um I said, "Well, that's interesting. Let me come visit first." So, I went to visit. I loved it. I loved the ranch. He had an amazing family, and I said, "Okay. I had to return home for 3 months to organize my life to be able to just up and move, right? But I did. But I did. My parents were like devastated. <laughs> They're like, "Oh, Lisa, no, like what? You can't do that. Um, your career, they kept telling me. they were very worried about that. And I said, I know. But what I also know is that there is this immense amount of love that I feel, and I have to take a leap of faith. And if it doesn't work, I know I can return home and I will pick up the pieces. But I have to follow. My heart, and I have to fall in love. And this is what I know, and this is what I feel, and this is what I believe God is calling me and telling me to do. And I did. So in j- January, January 2012, I arrived in Chihuahua, Mexico, with my boyfriend at the time. And him and I moved to his family's cattle ranch, and we basically lived there, happily ever after. Um, We lived there together for about a year and then he did propose. We got married in 2013 and it has been amazing. It has been amazing. So as I was saying, connect the dots, right? Um, I am, I'm, I'm a rancher's wife. I have been a rancher's wife for almost 10 years. This year will be our 10 year anniversary. There's everything, absolutely everything I love about the ranching industry, the ranch business. We are regenerative ranchers, which basically is a fancy word of saying we put the soil first. We are looking to build up the soil to help fight climate change, global warming, whatever you want to call it. But what we believe in is sustainability and therefore producing the best, most high quality animal as well and utilizing those animals and utilizing our cattle to actually regenerate the ground in which they walk on to regenerate our land we are god's stewards 100% of his earth of his land and it has been beautiful to um to be a part of you know to be a part of and and that to me is one of those really funny god moments of like learning the 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 finishing process of cattle right like working for this huge big company from the, the the standpoint of manufacturing and then becoming the rancher's wife and seeing the very beginning process all the way from the producer's side of things to the moment in which you sell your cows to the people who are now going to go bring them to market so that's been really cool um you know we live in a very simple life. I think for me, God, the first uh, five years we lived at the ranch, not in a city setting. The ranch is an hour and a half away from civilization. We lived a very simple and beautiful life. And I know with my whole heart, that was God's moment and time and opportunity to teach me what simplicity looked like. Um, we... Yeah, I mean, I always had people be like, what do you do? Like, don't you get bored? No. <laughs> it was just this incredible moment. I felt God in everything. Like, you just open the door and you feel God in the air. You feel his presence. It was just such a giving job and, and, and is, you know. We ended up starting a family. And we, had, we have three kids. They're incredible they're ages 7, 5, and 3, so it's busy. I'm a busy mom, and I want to just tell you, you know, as a little kid, I saw how much my mom and my father, but my dad lived in, in a different state when growing up, so I um, did not, you know, have the same encounters on a daily basis that I, I had with my mom, <coughs> and I saw my mom. She suffered a lot, very selflessly to provide for us. In in the sense that you know she had to work five days a week, and and my dad also financially helped. So I, I don't want to discredit that. But I always thought to myself as a little kid, man, when I'm a mom, I always knew I wanted to be a mother. In fact. That was one of the very first questions I ever asked my husband when we started dating. I said, how do you feel about kids? Boom. Just get out there and ask. He said, yes, I want a family. I love children. And I said, "Okay, perfect. I don't need to know anything else, just that you like kids. So anyways, I always saw my mom. She worked really hard and she was so selfless to provide for us. And I always knew like, gosh, one day when I'm a mom, I just hope that I get the opportunity to be a stay-at-home mom with my kids. And you guys, I am that. Um, you know, I I think for a lot of stay-at-home moms, there is also equally a sacrifice because you're sacrificing additional income or or anything else, you know, other other things. But I get the opportunity to be home with my babies, which is what I wanted. And and I'm just grateful that God saw that as a possibility and as an opportunity. And I'm hopeful that whatever my husband and I are sacrificing in this moment of not maybe having another income or things of that nature, that we will be able to provide for our kids, right, for the next generation. Because I know that what my mom went through, her selfless acts of working so hard, absolutely developed um, this, this moment in this pivotal pivotal. Um, opportunities for my sister and I to grow and to be who we are today so my hope is the same for the next generation for our children our sacrifices that my husband and I make and our works too that we are able to continue providing this incredible opportunity this incredible life moments memories love joy peace hope for our kids as well um you know what I want to I want to say one thing Maybe, maybe, maybe I don't, because I probably will cry too much. But I, I got the opportunity, you know, my my relationship with my dad became very difficult when I was a little later, around age nine or ten, because I was finally old enough to understand why, why we left, why my parents got a divorce, right? Because you can finally understand the ideas of what drugs and alcohol are. And I could just never understand why. People in general would choose substances over their loved ones. That was a hard pill for me to swallow until I myself experienced it. But um, so my poor dad, even though he was getting the help he needed, even though he was getting healthier and better and was no longer actively using any substances, my relationship with him for a long time was very difficult and I had a lot of hate and a lot of anger towards him still. Um, that, that went away with time because it, I was willing to work on the relationship. And then of course, when I got sober and had to go and make my amends to him, it was just a really cool opportunity and a really cool uh, moment, you know? And, um, yeah, I'm trying to keep it together. (laughs) My heart breaks for those that do not have the closeness with their parents, um, you know, I, I get it. Being your parents' best friend is not for everyone. And I respectfully understand that some people need boundaries with family and with their parents. But I personally, like, you know, when our time on this earth is done, I, I feel a, so much emotion and so much feeling knowing that my parents were some of the very first people that I always called with good news, and also with bad news. But but that that they were my first phone calls, and that goes for both my my stepmom and my stepdad. They were both pivotal, pivotal. Oh my goodness, in my life throughout childhood, throughout adolescence, and to this day. And I'm probably not giving them enough credit through this, and um, and I should because they're incredible people. Anyway. Husband and I had babies. We are parents. I want to believe that we are just providing for them this incredible life. You know, we um, lived at the ranch as long as we could. Our kids needed to get into school. Our oldest child at like age three, kid you not, ranch life was getting the best of her. She started peeing like a dog, lifting up the leg the whole bit. And my husband and I were like, yep, let's do it. We're going to the city. So anyways, um, moved to the city. And in 2019, life just got rough. Life got rough. And with these last few minutes here, I'm just going to speak into that. And and we're going to call it a day. Um, because the beautiful thing about podcasts is you can listen again later. But it got rough. It got complicated. We ended up walking away from the family business, from the ranch itself because it was not in a position financially to support a growing family of five. So my husband kind of started doing odds and ends jobs and like we were we were getting by and we were making it and it was fine. And then fast forward, right, March 2020. Well, who remembers that? Pandemic. My husband and I decided at that moment, "Hey, you know what?" Let's go to the US because we both, you know, our whole family were all Americans and we had that opportunity. Let's go to the US. Who knows what's going to happen? So we packed up our stuff and, and we took off. <coughs> and, um, you know, the pandemic was interesting because once again, for me, it was very much a God thing that He really provided for us. We, we were not affected. I mean, we were in, a, in an environment and in an area in Colorado like we were outside. We were playing in the river. We were going to the lake. We were going on hikes. We were very unaffected by really this complete global shutdown. And, and, and I'm happy about that, not necessarily for myself, but for my kids, that my kids never had this really weird experience. You know, there was a period where school was online, but we got through that. And then our oldest daughter was able to experience school in person. So anyways, my husband, once again, praise Jesus, he was able to get a job when we were in Colorado. That kind of came to an end. And um, we had a great 2020 like how crazy is that this is the part two for me that i get really emotional about you know god is always listening the spirit of the universe whatever you put out there will come back to you not when we want it that's for sure but when we need it and when i was a little kid i already said you know i grew up in glenwood springs And I always wanted to move back. Guys, uh, back in maybe uh, 2017, 2018, my mom and stepdad said, oh, hey, we decided to buy a lot uh, in Glenwood Springs, and we're going to build a house. I thought, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. so they did. They built their house and everything. And when we moved back to Colorado for the pandemic, that's where we went. We moved to Glenwood Springs. And um, 2020, that's probably another reason for me it was just an amazing year is all of the, I don't know, what, my, my goals, my hopes. It wasn't a goal. I shouldn't say that. But my hopes as a child of one day, just one day, I'm going to move back. It came true. It turned out to only be for nine months. I was really hopeful it would be longer. But um, yeah, like how amazing is that, right? Like God saw fit and maybe that was it. Maybe his answer was only nine months. It wasn't forever, which is what I I personally would have loved. But we got to live in Glenwood Springs. My husband was working there and I got to be with my parents for a period of time Um we were living, of course, in a, in a separate home, like our own little area. And I got to be with two of my childhood best friends that to this day, I'm still extraordinarily close with. And it was amazing. Our kids got to play with each other. Like, can you imagine? Like, we have pictures, my, my gr- two girlfriends who are sisters and myself, like we have childhood pictures of us as at like age four playing with each other. And during that summer period, we got to take all these incredible pictures of our children playing with each other. Um, yeah, it was just it was beautiful. It was really beautiful, and for me, it was a very spiritual experience in those moments. And um, in January, literally January of 2021, we were going to come back to Mexico to visit my husband's parents for New Year's, and we did. So I showed up with suitcases, with our intentions of returning back to Colorado and just kind of figuring it out then, because um, my husband's, you know, seasonal employment had come to an end. So, anyways, we arrived here January 2021, and during that period, my husband said to me, "You know what, Alyssa? We have to stay." There was something inside of him that said he needed to be here. And I lost it. And for me, it was probably this combination of a lot of emotions and a lot of things that we had experienced the previous like year or so of just a lot of instability. And the thing too is that in the moment when I, I want to speak into this for the last 10 minutes. For anybody who's really going through a difficult time, I mean, we were just in a pandemic, right? and you hear about how people's mental health is through the roof, through the roof. Suicide rates are up, depression's up, anxiety's up. People taking substances, be it, you know, pharmaceuticals to help with depression or anxiety. it's crazy. People abusing alcohol, drugs, etc. Why? Because of fear. Because people don't want to feel their emotions because people want to escape their emotions. And when we're in the moment, when we're in these deep uh, you know, periods or chapters of pain and of grief, we can't see what's going on. You're just fight or flight, you're just in the thick of it. And so for me, the first six to eight months of 2021, was heavy. Was heavy. And um, I'm extremely grateful to my friends and to my family at that point. And if anybody's really going through heavy times of just questioning their existence, please get help. Please reach out to a friend, you know. Um, I'm grateful for those friends that would allow me to just call and talk honestly and share honestly about what was going on, what I was feeling, what I was experiencing. Um, You know, what I know now looking back is that I allowed my fears, which was my deep rooted beliefs that I'm going to, we're failing. We are failing. I was so worried about what the people outside were going to think of us, primarily my parents. I was so worried to just have love and acceptance. And for me, what that meant was stability, both financially and physically. And in January of 2021, we had neither. We showed back up with savings in our US account and nothing in our Mexico account. So we showed up with five kids, suitcases, and that was about it. No home, no future plans in the moment. The future plan was my husband just wanted to save the ranch. And I was like, okay, sure. So it got heavy. It got deep because I really felt in my heart a completely different thing. I felt everything of just get the hell out of here. No, being here is not the answer. I just wanted to be back where we were. I wanted to be back in Colorado. I wanted to be back with my family because of my own fears, because of my deep rooted beliefs of not being lovable, of of failing. I didn't want to fail. And um. You know, there were some other things happening in the outside environment. There was some situations that we dealt with that absolutely were triggers to me dealing with situations of manipulation, dishonesty, distrust, lack of accountability. So it just got heavy. And that is all I'm going to say about that. Because after about five or six months, (laughs) maybe longer, um... You know, in multiple conversations, of course, with parents and my family. You know, one phone call in particular, I do want to share this because it was pivotal. Pivotal. Holy moly. Called my stepmom one day. Once again, I, um, depending on like what mood I'm in is like which parent I choose to call. Called my stepmom one day. She knew the situation. She's like, you know, Alyssa, nobody can save you except, except yourself. So you have some options you can leave because that's what I thought of doing. Pack up my kids, get me the hell out of here, get me as far away as possible because I just don't want to feel what I'm feeling, right? She goes, so you can leave or ask yourself these two questions. Do you have love? Meaning my husband and I, is there love? And if there is, second question, do you have a common goal? So anybody who's maybe experiencing marriage problems or, or, or whatever, you know, your situation might be where those questions are helpful, ask them. And um, I knew to question one, it was yes, absolutely. There has never one single day of my life been any sort of doubt of the immense amount of love, respect, compassion, empathy, whatever, for my husband. He is my best friend. He is somebody that I just look up to who I find to be extremely inspirational on a daily basis. So, question one was yes, there's love. Question two, I hung up the phone from her and I said, Fernando, we need to talk. (laughs) What are your goals? What are your goals? And he very clearly said, My goals are, you know, you, our family, our children to work hard. And I thought, okay, that's good enough. Those are my goals too, was our family, family first. And, um, you know, during these next few months, I was in this very, very, like, victim mentality because I was hurting. And so finally, one day, I just woke up, you know. It was probably June, maybe June of 2021. And I was like, you know what? And there had been multiple, like, breaking points, multiple panic attacks. I hadn't suffered panic attacks for a while. Anxiety, depression, just, like, crazy. And I thought, you know what? I am a victor not a victim. Let's do this. Let's fight. My pain will be my platform. The the pain in which we experience will one day maybe save somebody else. I had a friend reach out to me the other day. She said, Alyssa, I want to give up. What do you do when you feel like that? And I said, to be honest, all I can tell you is that through the darkness, for me personally, I always heard, I always heard this voice telling me, there's a purpose. There's a reason. I'm sorry it hurts. I'm sorry you feel this pain, but it's for a reason. And I told her because one day what you're going through and your emotions will benefit and will help somebody else. And that is why you have to sit here. Now, you also have to work on yourself. And for me, everything that we had experienced, you know, those years starting in 2019, 2020. 2021, of just this instability. Our moments, and and if you know me, you know I will say this to you, to anyone. I'm grateful. I'm grateful it happened. There's still days that it sucks, like, and it hurts. And I'm like, God, why? 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 Why did you do that? And, um, you know, my relationship with my husband grew like I would never have expected. We had some of the most incredible, deep, profound conversations that I don't think we would have ever experienced had this not come about. I grew as a mom, I grew as a wife. Now, in these moments, I'm, I'm grateful that they, t- they didn't last too long last. You know, I, I know there's a lot of people that probably are suffering. you know there is so much silent suffering happening in the world, and it breaks my heart. Um, and, and I pray for them, you know, um, I really do. I pray for the silent sufferers out there. As you can tell via this podcast, my form of communication, my form of expressing myself, my form of dealing with my emotions is through words. And, and, and I know that that is my gift. That is what God has, has put on my heart. That is what is full of my notebooks. I'm a big journaler. You know, in the last three years, I have filled up probably six notebooks. And and I know there's a lot of people that aren't, and they don't process, and they don't want to grow. Or if they do want to grow, they don't know how. Um, so so I'm, I'm hopeful that People get to a point because you have to get there on your own. You know, in in 2021, I just knew I had become the same person I was at 19 years old. I felt broken. I didn't know who I was. I wasn't happy. I I lost my joy. And the other thing, this is the last and final thing I'll say. I got five minutes. You know, I, I got down on my knees. And I thought to myself, at the end of the day, what is our ultimate goal? What is the ultimate goal in your life? For me personally, it's to go to heaven. I just want to meet Jesus and I want to meet God and I want to thank him. And I want to give him a hug. And I know that because the Bible, John 3.16, thank you, Tim Tebow, uh, for making this verse famous, right? That it states, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that for whoever shall believe in him shall, ha- shall not perish, but instead have eternal life. If you're a believer in God, in the universe, in whatever creation as I am, this life is eternal. And this was a changing point for me because I started looking at people. I started looking at my children. I started looking at myself differently. How we show up and treat other people on a daily basis is eternal. And, and that was a big changing point for me. There was some pain I needed to do deal with, some grief I was still processing, some forgiveness that still needed to happen. But because I know that my actions here on earth are eternal, that they will be seen and heard in heaven. I started processing and I thought, I'm ready to get to know myself again. I want to be the best version of myself for myself, for my husband, for my children. And there was moments, you know, of 2021 when I was just like deep down and out, didn't want to wake up in the mornings. You know, I look back and and I get sad. I get sad because I, I do feel that I missed out on my kids. I felt like I was in such a fog, you know, such a foggy moment of just high anxiety, high stress, just discontentment. And I never want to experience that again. I never want to check out and not be available emotionally, mentally, and spiritually to my kids. Um, My kids, my family, my husband, my parents, they are everything. I get to be the friend that I am today. I get to be the mother, the wife, the daughter, all the things. I get to be those things because of what I've gone through, because of who my parents are, because what I have chosen to see, what I have chosen to grow through, heal through. I am not perfect, obviously. Um But I want to get better. I want to be better. I want to help people. I want people to experience this joy, this peace, this happiness. I want people to wake up and be grateful. And that is a a practice. And that is something I have always believed in is expressing gratitude. You know, I just I believe gratitude is just the celebration of the small things in our lives. It can be so mundane, the mundane moments, the small things. I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my kids. And, you know, it was in those moments of, of, of struggle, going through these moments of, you know, a lot of instability in life where that is what I was grateful for. Health, food, house, shelter, clothing, relationship with God, my parents, those basic things. But at the end of the day, you guys, those things are everything. Everything. So that is connecting the dots over here. I hope you guys get something out of that. What I want you to know is the amount of joy and love that I have for the world and for God and for people is so huge and is so immense and so great. And I want to highlight that in other people's lives and in other people's stories. And if you're feeling right now this this Period of feeling lost, whatever that might look like for you. If you have all the money in the world, but emotionally you're lost, or if you have no money in the world and you feel lost, or whatever, you know, your marriage is falling apart, your health, reach out, reach out to me, reach out to somebody. You know, um, I believe that we all have the opportunities to live our best lives. I believe there's tools. I believe there are resources and that It's possible. It absolutely is possible. And I'm doing it for myself. I'm doing it for myself. You know, my my goal as of last year, 2022, was my year of healing and growing. And I wanted to be strong. My word was strong. I just wanted to be strong mentally, physically, emotionally, mind, body, soul. And I started working out, watching what I eat, getting back into deep meditation and spiritual work, journaling. That is my medicine. That is what is important to me. Um, I'm a deep person. Now you see why. I believe there are so many things in life that absolutely happen for a reason. I would not change any of it. Nothing. I would not change the pain that I have experienced. You know, I wouldn't change the drinking because the drinking is what led me to Jesus. The drinking is what led me to this relationship, this fundamental relationship I have with God, which has led me to this deep I have for him to share with my kids it is what has led me to my husband and it is what is our foundation in our marriage and I hope one day he wants to come on and talk to you guys about him hearing God telling him that I was the woman for him that he pleaded with God on day one for God to give me to him as his wife And that's how it turned out, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Yeah, I'm going to leave with that. You know, I want to believe I'm a good friend. I want to believe I'm a good wife. And I want to believe I'm a good mother. I'm not perfect at any of those things. And there has been deep moments of pain that gets in the way of being those things. I am grateful for the moments of breaking because you get built back up better. And that's it. So I leave you with that. We are going to focus on other people. Maybe I'll pop on here from time to time. But thank you guys so much. Love y'all. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining today, for believing in me in this podcast. You know, there are countless things that I left out. But the beautiful thing is you're going to get to know me more and more. You're going to hear more from me. You're going to hear more about me. So I'm sure that what Ever, I did not mention, whatever was not on my heart in this episode will come out in a different time, in a different way. And little by little, you'll get to know me. It's probably very obvious by now that I live a pretty straightforward, honest, upfront life. I really don't have like this big closet of skeletons and I'm just kind of hard on my sleeve type of person. And I know that's not everybody's style, but I'm hopeful that my gift of communicating and talking and um, being of service to people will, you know, keep inspiring those, help those, lift those up that are maybe in some dark places just so people know that like we're here to love one another, support one another, And that's it. So looking forward to that. Can't wait to share more with you guys later. Thank you.